Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525 well welcome back monday april 17th 2023 i am seth leapson our phone number is 602-508-0960 a melee took place in chicago this weekend as the local television crew had to retreat this is what they reported quote Hundreds of teenagers flooded into downtown Chicago on Saturday night, smashing car windows, trying to get into Millennium Park, and prompting a major police response. At least one person in a car was attacked. Shots were fired near the corner of Madison and Michigan. Two teens were wounded by gunfire in the crowds in the first block of East Washington Street. A 16- and 17-year-old boy were taken to Northwestern Memorial Hospital with gunshot wounds. A woman whose car was smashed by people jumping on the windshield said her husband was beaten as he sat in the driver's seat. He's been taken to Northwestern Memorial Hospital. This is Lori Lightfoot's Chicago. She's still the mayor there. The incoming mayor, Brandon Johnson, put out a statement saying this, quote, In no way do I condone the destructive activity we saw in the Loop and Lakefront this weekend. It is unacceptable and has no place in our city. However, it is not constructive to demonize youth who have otherwise been starved of opportunities in their own communities. Our city must work together to create spaces for youth to gather safely and responsibly under adult guidance and supervision to ensure that every part of our city remains welcome for both residents and visitors. Close quote. It is not constructive to demonize youth who have otherwise been starved of opportunities in their own community? Starved by 16- and 17-year-old other boys standing by who get shot? Starved by men and women just sitting in their car and stuck in traffic? This is the modernized version of Diesel's statement in West Side Story, a gang member of the Jets. Remember what he said? I'm depraved on account of I'm deprived. At least in those days, you could say, and criminals could admit, they were depraved, meaning disposed to commit a sin. At least once upon a time, we knew these kinds of out-of-control, unrestrained super-predators were committing sins against their community and fellow man, if no other entity. In Alabama over the weekend, four teenagers were killed at a sweet 16 birthday party, including two girls. They were all high school seniors. It will get less attention because Chicago is, for some reason, more important than Dadeville. The Arizona Republic this morning reports on three teen suicides that took place within two weeks of each other, all at the same school, all last year. Mentioning the youth mental health crisis by the American Academy of Pediatrics that we've mentioned here several times, it notes last year 46 teens took their lives in Arizona last year. You look at the raft of horror and violence committed by our youth against our fellow youth and themselves, And you begin to realize this is not a 1957 musical. It's not even Romeo and Juliet. We are talking about communities afraid of their own children, children afraid of themselves, children who have yet to grow up and may never grow up, children whose voices have yet to change. And they are in the midst of adults whose voices do need to change. 
Sweeping away authority and responsibility with language like, it is not constructive to demonize youth who have otherwise been starved of opportunities in their own communities, is not only insufficient, it's so far away from the mark, it can't even see the word sufficient in bold 1,000-plus point font. Such language is one large surrender conterminous with one sweeping blaming of the victim. The victim being the innocent, the law-abiding, and the community in which this kind of envenomed and corrosive abandonment of civility and civilization is taking place. And all of this takes place at a time when the House Judiciary Committee, under the leadership of Jim Jordan, is holding a field hearing on the victims of violent crime in Manhattan, where, to borrow the language of a friend of mine, an expert on victims' rights, too often we have been so sedulous in our concerns for the perpetrators of crime that we forget the very point of why there is a criminal code in the first place, which is to protect the innocent, the law-abiding, and the decent, whose rights are trampled on routinely, not only by lack of law enforcement, but the misplaced sentimentality and appeasement of those who are doing the trampling. From Los Angeles, where there are no-go communities, that is, places you have been instructed not to travel in or to, to Uvalde, to Chicago, to New York, we have built communities that are now tributes to super predators where adults are afraid of children. Impulse control is gone, and brute, unrestrained self-expression is routine, if not rampant. It is true too many of our youth have been deprived, or starved, to use the phraseology of Chicago's incoming mayor. But what is it they have been starved and deprived of? It's not an opportunity. Children from far poorer and less opportune places are sent to this country by the droves, some legally, some illegally. If your name is or was Elian Gonzalez, you were sent into shark-infested waters to get here. If you are from Central America, parents are willing to risk desiccated and dangerous deserts at the pa- as the passageway to offer their children a better life than they have where they were born. No. What too many of our youth have deprived of is not opportunity, but it is poverty. Moral poverty is what they have. The criminologist John DeUlio once described that poverty this way, quote, Most Americans of every race, religion, socioeconomic status, and demographic description grew up in settings where they are taught right from wrong and rewarded emotionally and spiritually, if not also or always materially, for deferring immediate gratification and respecting others. Most of us were blessed to be born to loving and responsible parents or guardians, and most of us were lucky enough to have other adults in our lives, teachers, coaches, clergy, and the moral lessons that we learned at home. Don't be selfish, care about others, plan for the future, and so on. But some Americans grow up in moral poverty. Moral poverty is the poverty of being without loving, capable, responsible adults who teach you right from wrong. It is the poverty of being without parents and other authorities who habituate you to feel joy at others. Joy, pain at others' pain. Happiness when you do right. Remorse when you do wrong. It is the poverty of growing up in the virtual absence of people who teach morality by their own everyday example and who insist that you follow suit. In the extreme... Moral poverty is the poverty of growing up surrounded by deviant, delinquent, and criminal adults in abusive, violence-ridden, fatherless, godless, and jobless settings. In some, whatever their material circumstances, kids of whatever race, creed, or color 
are most likely to become criminally depraved when they are morally deprived. Most predatory street criminals, black and white, adult and juvenile, past and present, have grown up in abject moral poverty. And it's going to get worse. For as de Ulio has found, each generation of youth criminal in this country has grown up in more extreme conditions of moral poverty than the one before it. The abject moral poverty that creates super predators begins very early in life in homes where unconditional love is nowhere but unmerciful abuse is common. Almost without exception, the boys' families were a social fabric of fragile and undependable social ties that weakly bound children to their parents and other socializers. Nearly all parents abused alcohol or drugs or both. Most had no father in the home. Many had fathers who were criminals. And, of course, there is other, often violence in these homes as well. You want to know how to put a blank stare in the deep sockets and eyes of a child who by nature has light and excitement and adventure in them? This. This is how. Feed them a steady diet of an environment of fatherlessness, drug and alcohol abuse, and an outlook not of gratitude and opportunity, but resentment, victimology, and the message that life does not matter, and the institutions of law, the institution of the country, is against you. Great lies all, but lies that become truths for these youth when told often enough. Thus is the danger of lies. Consider, despite living in desperate economic poverty under the heavy weight of Jim Crow and with plenty of free access to guns, the church-going two-parent black families of the South never, experiencing, never experienced anything remotely like the tragic levels of homicidal youth and gang violence that plague some of today's inner-city neighborhoods. There is something more important than that, though we try as hard as we can to prevent and avoid it. And it's more important than being poor or being born poor just as there is something more important than being born rich. Just ask Robert Marx or Army Hammer or the Kennedy family. What is that more important thing? We, of course, all know it. Decency, respect for life, and time-tested, reliable standards of right and wrong that do not disorient conscientiousness or confuse it so as to superordinate it toward the destroyer of the civil compact, blaming everyone and everything but the destroyer, and rather takes responsibility for the Thunderdome we have nurtured and created and shows the difference between right and wrong, good and bad, civility and incivility, and properly trains children in the way they should go. Of course, when you have a society run by children in adult bodies, adult children who instantiate confusion in other real children, be they in our schools, libraries, or mayor's mansions, this makes the task nearly impossible. But still, it seems to me, someone ought to say it, or the ethics of Chicago, the Chicago way, if you will, will invade more than just Dadeville. When it comes to what we do and who we are as grown-ups, a phrase you don't hear much anymore, do you? I like to think of a famous phrase from the 1960s, the whole world is watching. What I think we forgot in what we do, say, and teach is that all our children are watching, too. I'm Seth Leibson, 602-508-0960. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, 602 
bit of a focus today on uh, what's taking place in our society, our culture, and our youth. Heck of an important op-ed in the Wall Street Journal that uh, was run this morning by David McCormick and James Cunningham. Think about what we were talking about with uh, Ross Pixler last week and the importance of the civilizing institutions of our military academies. I was talking to a different, another graduate of West Point over the weekend, and we were talking about, he had heard the Pixler interview. He, we were talking about, you know, military academies are one of the great precincts, outposts, garrisons in this country that help train young boys, young men, some who come from great backgrounds and some who come from broken backgrounds. And what these academies can do to help train up those in broken backgrounds is amazing. It's incredible. I once heard a uh, drill sergeant say, you can give me a 17-year-old who spent 17 years in a awful in an, in an awful home in an awful environment you give them to me for two months and I'll fix them these academies can be that important what this person I was talking to this graduate from West Point I was talking to over the weekend said in respect and context of all that was what's sad and what makes the job all the more difficult is that the job has been made all the more difficult. The job has been made all the more difficult because what constituted a broken home or a broken family or a broken community 10 years ago was worse than what constituted all that 10 years prior. And what's taking place now, what constitutes broken homes, communities, and environments now is worse than what it was 10 years ago. In other words, there's this, as I pointed out in my monologue, as I think John DeUlio pointed out, moral poverty and all the downwash that comes with it doesn't get better if unaddressed. It gets worse, cyclically and generationally worse. More depravity, more crime, and more violent the crime. What's odd to me is just as we need more and more civilizing institutions like the military academies, and not just those, not just those, but other institutions, think maybe what we might call in Madison's phrase auxiliary precautions, um, Boy Scouts, social clubs, boys and girls clubs, the problems they have all been going through as well. The Boy Scouts isn't what it used to be, as many of you tragically know as well. And these military academies, great as they are, aren't what they used to be. Again, just as the need is getting greater and greater, that's one interesting point. Another interesting adjunct to all this is that we seem to have kind of been here before, haven't we? There's this, um, there's this eerie and odd replication we seem to all be going through right now that looks an awful lot 
whether it's the economy or whether it's foreign policy, it looks an awful lot like the mid to late 1970s, doesn't it? It's eerie how much it does. It's odd how much it does. But it's also true when it comes to our sociology, the way we think of ourselves, the way we comport ourselves, the way we are living with ourselves, and the way we are killing ourselves. Remember, until last year, 1979 was the culmination of the high point of drug use in America, and crime was, of course, on the rise and explosion as well. Think, too, about what it took to reverse that. Like the drill sergeant said, you can reverse it if you're serious in a quicker fashion than it took to raise it up. Think about how quickly, for example, Mayor Goldsmith, Steve Goldsmith, cleaned up Indianapolis or Rudy Giuliani cleaned up New York. It didn't take the decades of their reforms to clean up the decades of depravity that had come to define those communities. But it took a seriousness and it took a rolling up of the sleeves that the entire community backed him on and those that didn't either had to get on board or get out of the way. It took a seriousness that we have summoned and have had to summon from time to time. And one of the great questions I have, great not because good and great not because delightful, but great because I think important, is do we still have that stuff? Are we still a serious enough place that we can attempt or effort to do these things? You have to wonder, how much worse does it have to get in Chicago until they get someone to clean it up? We thought it was awful, so they got rid of Lori Lightfoot. I mean, she's on her way out. She was not reelected. And we thought, okay, we're beginning to repair the social damage. But, oops, they voted for someone worse than Lori Lightfoot. Less serious about fighting crime, more serious about expostulating on Marxist economic theories of behavior in our youth. Do we have what it takes? We got rid of someone in San Francisco only to put someone in there who may or may not be better. Los Angeles, the same. I don't know. This is what makes the question so great. How much worse does it have to get? And will it get to a point where it is, is not reversible? Well, think about that. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. John Dombrowski is the president and founder of Grand Canyon Planning Associates. His website is Grand Canyon Planning. He's also the host of his own radio show, The Word on Wealth, heard here every Saturday morning at 7 a.m. I was just thinking of that song, Don't Need Money, Don't Need Fame, Don't Need No Credit Card to Ride This Train, John. Maybe that could be the song theme song for your uh, Word on Wealth show. I don't know, a little Huey Lewis in the news there for you. Changed, haven't they? <laughs> they certainly have. <laughs> don't need no credit card. People are going to have a hard time getting credit cards, I think. 
Uh, it seems like it credit might get a little tight. Hey, just real quick yeah. on a side note, yeah. SpaceX, the Starship uh, test was canceled today. Oh, yeah. Uh, yep, which, interesting, I also saw something that on this day in 1970, yes. remember? Yes. Uh, the Apollo 13 right. returned right. to Earth. That's I right. mean, that was a interesting thing in a movie, of course, about Apollo 13. Right? Do you remember that? Were you, are, you, I, are you old enough to remember it? I'm old enough to remember it, yes. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I know uh, you're not old enough to remember. Well, it. no, but I'm old. I'm old enough to remember. Uh, uh, I mean, um, it, yeah. yeah, it was talked about for years. So yeah. I, I remember it being talked about before I read about it. Yeah. I mean, it was so monumental. It sure, was so and monumental. I did see the movie. Yeah, <laughs> and then of course there is uh, there is the great movie that was Tom yeah. Wolfe, wasn't it? Um, the right stuff. I don't know. I don't know. The, no, no. What's no? You're thinking of Apollo, Apollo 13. 13. Yeah, Tom yeah, Hanks. yeah, 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 Tom yeah. Hanks. Right, yeah. Tom Hanks. Exactly yeah. right. Yeah. Well, having blown that cultural yeah. reference, <laughs> John, <laughs> Tom Wolf is to writing what Tom Hanks is to movies. That that's what that's what I, I was confusing. That's what you that, yes, that's the analogy. All right, let me move on to the Speaker of the House. He, um, yes. the yep. Speaker of the House today, he uh, he spoke yep. to. That's right. Yeah, Kevin McCarthy. McCarthy uh, spoke uh, to the stock exchange. Big news, yes. kind of, huh? Uh, yeah, I mean, he was again presenting his plan for uh, you know the balance, bal- not balancing the budget, but raising the debt ceiling, and wanted to make sure, in his mind, uh, you know, going to try to do this without having any other, you know, pork or fat tied to it. And uh, you know, the problem is, is are they going to have the rest of the GOP on their side to get this done and to stay firm with it? I don't know if he's going to have enough. Uh, you know, votes on it. I don't know what uh, you're a little bit more with the. Uh, no, I don't know either. It's thing. hard to tell. It's hard to yeah. tell because there's going to be a contingent that doesn't want to. And, you know, speaking of movies and novels, it feels like we've seen this movie a lot before. It, doesn't uh, yeah, it? I think the debt ceiling was what, 31.4 yeah. trillion? Yeah. And yeah. now we're up, we're up over 31.6 yeah. using its extraordinary measures through Janet Yellen. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, obviously this vote has to come down, and we've got to either increase the debt ceiling or is there that risk of defaulting on the debt? I don't think we're going to default on the debt. I'd be surprised if we did that. Uh, it'd be the first time in our history. Yeah. And I don't think that, especially with everything else going on in the world right now, uh, I don't think that that wants to be another piece of our resume here as a country. Yeah, that's right. Uh, look, uh, you 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 just can't hear a Republican talking or talking point these days saying we're not going to default on the debt. We're not going to default on the debt. Well, there's only a couple ways then to get the ceiling raised, right? Um, or, or or have deep spending cuts. Yeah. And yeah. again, as I say, I've seen this fight over and over and over again. My guess is projection. Hold me to it, John. We can put dinner on it if you want. Uh, my guess is that there will there will be a contingent raising of the debt level that will be temporary with the promise in the future of certain spending cuts or the negotiation of certain spending cuts. Little mealy mouth, little concessions, but... I don't know when you only have one House of Congress and not the presidency or the Senate. I don't know much more you can do. I just don't. Yeah, I mean, and the thing is, we haven't had a balanced budget, I think, since Clinton. I think it was Clinton. Uh, maybe since Bill Clinton, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's so it's right. it's been 20 years, over 20 years since yeah, we've had, yeah. you know, uh, any surplus or uh, this is just, it's, 
we had a different sensibility about these things. And, and, you know, so someone was contrasting when Ronald Reagan spoke at the New York Stock Exchange. I think our debt was around $1 trillion then. It's about 30 years ago. I know, right? What you wouldn't do. What you wouldn't do. Unbelievable. Yeah. Thank you, John. You bet. All right. Securities and advisory services offer the Creative One Securities LLC, a member of Finran Sipic and an investment advisor, Grand Canyon Planning Associates LLC, and Creative One Securities LLC are not affiliated. Thank you so much, Seth. Okay. Thank you, John Dombrowski. Bye-bye. I appreciate you. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508-0960. You may have just heard the ad for that cigar night with Dennis Prager. It's going to be a lot of fun and really intellectually stimulating. It's uh, Thursday, April 27th, so in about 10 days, tickets are moving. You can get them at 960thepatriot.com. VIP is sold out, but we have general. We're keeping it very small and intimate. It's going to be a beautiful setting. Everyone will have plenty of FaceTime with Dennis. Uh, Of course, I'll be there. I'll be interviewing Dennis uh, for y'all in the audience. And by y'all, again, it's going to be very small and intimate. So you'll all get to uh, meet and talk uh, with Dennis uh, if you haven't or if you'd like to do so again. And we'll be talking about all the tough issues. I was listening to, uh, I, I think I listened to his show almost every day, I, I, or at least most of it almost every day. What I don't catch, Bill does. We often ask each other, don't we, if we, if you caught this or that part of Dennis's show. It is, um, it is such critical information in a time such as this, like we've been talking about. Um, and I, I think I'll talk some of the questions I'll I'll be asking Dennis will have to do with some of the themes we cover in our monologues here. If there's anything you'd like to hear me ask him about, feel free to uh, call or email me. Love to hear from you. And uh, interesting thing, we never give these questions to uh, Dennis. I don't I don't know if we've ever given, I don't think we give them to any of our guests ahead of time when we do events like this. But it's going to be a heck of a great night. Great food, drink, obviously adult beverages if you want them, soft drinks if you want those. But all there. Cigar Night with Dennis Prager, Thursday, April 27th. Uh, 960thepatriot.com to get your tickets. It's going to be just a fantastic event. Uh, it always it always is. Um, uh, let's see, where was I going? Yes, yes, yes. I want to talk more about the moral poverty issue, but, you know, before I get back to that and civilizing institutions, um, let, me, um, let me point out something that I'm thinking the mainstream media is going to not put a lot of light on, and that's this victims' uh, rights, crime, crime victims' rights hearing that took place in Manhattan uh, today. Um, it's going to make the job harder. If we're going to engage in, I was going to say civic renewal, but it's really municipal renewal. If we're going to engage in trying to get our cities back um, and reverse the trend, um, it's going to have to take some seriousness in understanding what it is we don't go through, and that is to say what the victims of violent crime do go through if they are still alive, if they are survivors, or if they are the spouses, parents, relatives, or family of survivors 
Um, one of the mothers, maybe you have seen the video on Fox or someone, someone else, somewhere else, but not very much you won't see it. One of the mothers, one Madeline Brame, the mother of a, of a murder victim in New York who was testifying today uh, in New York, um, she got into it with a Democrat, uh, Dan Goldman, Democrat congressman, during the field hearing um, and had to tell him not to insult her intelligence because he was giving her kind of a a, part, a a partisan lecture. It's not a good look, and it's not going to be an ongoing good look for the Democrats to be lecturing survivors of violent crime that they don't get the politics of this stuff. This mother, God bless her, uh, God bless her, she said he's the reason, and that kind of talk is why she left her words, the plantation of the Democratic Party. She used that word as an African-American, no doubt, with all the imp- impact of such a thing. It's not going to be a good look for the Democrats, which is, I guess, probably why the mainstream media is not going to show very much of it. Doug is in Maricopa. Hello, Doug. How are you? Uh, real good, Seth. Um, another excellent discussion um, in subject, because I, I believe... Where you're going with this is at, at the root of um, all our problems. And um, I, I know a, a quite a while ago <clears throat> I discussed uh, my dad and my dad's growing up years, but it's been so long I think I can repeat some of it, but it's extremely pertinent to what this is. Um, <clears throat> my dad uh, was born in uh, 1909. He didn't... Uh, uh, he was almost 50 years old when I was born, so my, my wife always jokes that there's a missing generation, and my morality is two generations uh, back, and I take that as a point of pride. Uh-huh. You know, yeah. <laughs> My handshake is my word, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. Okay, but when he was about 96, because he lived to be 100 and uh, died in uh, 2009, um, we were watching 60 Minutes. And they were, of course, doing the liberal tirade about uh, South Chicago, that basically all this poverty caused violence. And uh, Dad uh, basically said, well, that's BS. And, of course, he said the whole word. Now, I hadn't heard my dad swear in 30 years. (laughs) So I I, I just basically, hey, geez, Dad, uh, what's up, Pop? (laughs) And he said, the problem is, and you almost quoted him verbatim, he said, it is not... Uh, poverty that causes violence is moral poverty. He used that and, phrase too, yeah. And and he and he began to go through the deprivation that the people endured. We don't know, and do not listen to the liberals talk about the deprivation of today's poor. Our today's poor are overweight. <clears throat> they have iPhones. They live in cr- crummy conditions. But compared to what the average working class person had to endure. It is nothing. Mm-hmm. He looks at the poor in America and said they are wealthy beyond measure compared to what we had to endure on a daily level, going two and three and four and five days without a meal, trying to squeeze a little ketchup from a restaurant into water because that's the first food you've had in your bellies for days. And he said they would come home, uh, and sometimes their neighbors were out in the, their furniture was out in the front yard because they had missed one payment, house payment, and the barn that was a small barn, which is their garage, had neighbors in it, 
And they were, you know, they were happy to have one slice of bread and pig fat because they couldn't afford the pig meat that had just boiled pig fat. Yeah, the lard or whatever, and, yeah. Oh, lard, yeah. I mean, it was so bad you can't even believe it. Yeah, why did he crime rates he, not go up during the Depression or in the Jim well, Crow South? Yes. Right, exactly. Yes. And, right. Here, and here's the thing he said. With all that starvation and deprivation and cold and we held together, but he said, we never thought to lock our doors. Yeah, yeah. Because the thought of taking from our neighbors, even though we were that that we were in that kind of deprivation, a hundred times worse than any ghetto in America, honest to God. Did you ever see the movie America. or read the book Cinderella Man about the boxer James yeah. Braddock? Let, yeah. me, let me take a yeah. quick break, Doug. Let's pick up on, do you have time for me? Oh, yes. I okay, do. thanks. Let me take a quick break and I'll come back. Folks, with all the economic uncertainty, including market volatility and the vagaries of the Fed, why refi offers you an investment in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return not correlated to the stock market or the Fed. It's an investment where you can turn your monthly income on or off. You can compound it, whatever you choose, with no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. There are no fees in this secure collateralized portfolio that delivers an up to 10.25% fixed interest rate. Why Refi is not only a due diligence approved firm where you can earn up to that fixed rate of return of 10.25%. They're local. You can visit them. I encourage you to stop by their offices on Scottsdale Road in the 101. I've been there plenty of times. I can tell you, you will not get a sales pitch and no one's going to ask you to sign anything. When you meet with the team over there at Why Refi, you'll see why I trust and like them so much. Check them out at investwhyrefi.com. That's the word invest. The letter Y, then R-E-F-Y dot com. Or give them a call at 888-Y-REFI-34. 888-Y-REFI-34. Doug's in Maricopa. Doug, I was uh, just mentioning uh, before the break, uh, if people want to understand what your daddy was getting at, or what my daddy, I guess, grew up with, uh, that movie Cinderella Man, it's a beautiful, it's a true story. Uh, it's a movie I highly encourage. It's a great movie. And, um, and yes, how people who may not have had much money even during the Depression, still had the remnant of the society they were brought up in that encouraged and coddled and nurtured morals. The tragedy is that generation may not have done a great job after your daddy and mine in communicating those morals. Yes, yes, I I agree. They got the money and they left. What does Prager said? They gave gave the next generation the money, but their money, but not their morals, Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. And and they maintained that uh, code, uh, but they didn't impart it to the next because they, they wanted to impart all the wealth, but they're not realizing that wealth, unguided by an even stricter code of moralities, um, gets leads to all kinds of deprivation. Yeah. You know, um, you know... Uh, trying to tell a quick another quick story here's this what i'm going to do i'm going to punish you i'm going to punish okay, you just a little bit because no good I'm deed probably, goes i probably deserve it yeah too, you do right? you do no good deed <laughs> no de- good okay. deed goes unpunished yeah i'm going to hold you over and set it up for the top of the next hour this is such an important issue so you just have to sit there and wait a few minutes is that okay Doug yeah, can you uh, stand watching I can the news do. okay brother yeah. i'll be right with you